Hello there. Pull up a chair. I'm going to be playing a clip. Um, Oliver Stone, remember him or her, however you want to look at these things, is in Davos um, pitching his new documentary. And the title of the clip is Oliver Stone's new documentary aims to change the nuclear energy narrative. Good for him, right? Good for him. So let's have a look and hear what these losers have to say. Okay. Percentage fossil fuel. Wait a minute. Here in Davos talking about world energy. And everybody's talking about energy and the energy transition and sustainability. But the number one source of energy in the world, over 80%, is fossil fuels. And it hasn't changed in 30 years. And then number two is hydro, number three is nuclear. You'd think we would be really talking about nuclear because that's the second in line of the carbon-free sources. And then wind is well behind that and solar is way behind that. So, But somehow it's not on the agenda. I don't see it here. People aren't talking about it. So we brought our film here to try to educate and to try to break this wall of fear and ignorance about something that's really important. Why do you think governments are hesitant to use nuclear energy? For me, it's politics, politics in the West. I mean, we have to realize that Russia and China are doing far more work on, on nuclear than, we, than America has fallen way behind that. We, we, we froze up in the 70s, 80s. We didn't build uh, after the 80s, after Three Mile Island, and uh, yeah. certainly Chernobyl. Chernobyl was the only really accident that and nothing compared in the amount of deaths and damage to the other fossil, to the other energy sources, like coal, gas, oil, many, many more deaths, many more deaths from coal. But uh, we, 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 we fixated on nuclear energy because of nuclear war. And we always have confounded, the, most average people have confounded the two. They don't realize that there's a huge difference in the way it's processed. The plutonium enrichment is much less. There's no chance of a nuclear explosion. But all these fears dominate yeah. the, the discussion. We literally wouldn't have the climate crisis that we have had we stayed on track in the, where we were in the 1950s and 60s. But we must add that obviously the industry gets, the, the nuclear industry gets much stronger and stronger because they're allowed to work without too many regulations and insanities. And they develop. It gets better and better, and now we're really at a place where it's better than ever. And uh, they're building all kinds of the big ones they're building and the small ones, the sm SMRs, the small modular reactors, very effective. It's all rooted in the idea that a tiny amount of radiation will do some terrible damage to the world. It's harmful. And of course, we're, we're living in an amount of radiation here. It's flooding the room, and actually it's twice the average world background radiation because we're up at altitude in Davos. So you'd think we would all be terrified to have twice that radiation. And yet, when regulating nuclear power, the, the theory behind it is that the tiniest amount, if it's background radiation plus, you know, 1%, that's, that's not, not allowable because that's going to harm people. It's completely not true. It's rooted in an idea from 60, 70 years ago that our DNA can't repair itself and that any damage to DNA is permanent, cumulative, irreparable, and we now know that's not true. Well, have you ever been in oh, gee, sorry. <laughs> well, according to these people, there is not a single problem going on, right? So let's take a look today. I would encourage you to download as many of my shows as you would like to watch later or to preserve. 
people have always had ideas about what I should do as far as why don't I upload here or why don't I do that. Well, I don't really have time for Pinterest accounts and all of that. <laughs> and, and whenever I had accounts like Facebook, people like the McCann case, they came in there and were calling me a liar and stuff. <laughs> so I suggest download what you would like. I would hope that my work would continue on. My house is getting hit very hard right now by radiation, and that explains why in the last show I was yelling at my poor, 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 poor fur boy, Rocco. <laughs> I, I, would, I tried a new plan. I thought if I kept all of us in one room, that would work better. But obviously, it didn't work too well because he became obsessed to come over to me with my microphone. And I sent a picture to my friend after the show because... The minute I turned the microphone on, where was Rocco? Well, he was sleeping right next to me. So anyway, so yeah, we're all kind of a mess around here. So um, I want to keep this rolling. Um, one thing I left off the last show, you realize that in this country, the United States, they also bleach, bleach, as in Clorox bleach, all the commercial chicken that's sold. And remember that show I did about the chicken nuggets? <laughs> being used for vaccines. Watch it on the chicken. So another thing to pay attention to is this, and you can go and research this on your own. I'm not going to go into it right this second. Um, because I, my next plan is I want to talk about the glamour of movies, okay? Because I think a lot of this stuff seems suspiciously to have happened, <clears throat> excuse me, mid-1800s, right? Mid-1800s, and why, why, why in the early 1900s were they just figuring out food for us like we've never eaten before? <laughs> Things are not adding up. Because here's the thing, do you realize with all of these crime shows and stuff, you know, CSI this, CSI that, that a very, very small percentage of crimes in this country get solved? <laughs> I think the crimes that get solved are if one of us were to try to rob a bank or something, that crime might get solved. But when they rob us, those crimes never get solved. But yeah, it's a very low average. It's like, oh, I don't know. I'm just talking off the top of my head. It's like 20, 30% get solved. So it, it has to do with the movies, how this got sold. So in order to take a break from this horror show, um, next I will be um, talking about the movies. <laughs> And how it completely educated us about how the cops... Anyway, can't go there now. But here's a few words you might want to look into. From the last show, you definitely want to look into Russia. And the word you're looking for there is polygon. P-O-L-Y-G-O-N. We need to understand what happened to these people. They're part of our tribe. We need to, we need to acknowledge the history of what was done to them. Another one is the bikini... Because the U.S. did not want to pronounce bikini, it became bikini, like bikini swimsuits, bikini atoll, A-T-O-L-L. -L. You want to look into what happened with those people, how they were shuffled around. And then also look into Nevada nuclear, a lot going on out in Nevada. So anyways, I'm going to be looking more into this Pellegra business because... I don't hear that noise. Oh, hang on a second. Let me go see what that noise is. It doesn't sound good. <laughs> oh, I know what it is. I'll be right back. <laughs> I will be right back.
Okay, I'm back. Okay, let me get seated here. I probably should learn how to turn the microphone off, but I haven't yet in the last six years, so maybe not going to happen now. <laughs> okay, okay, where were we? I was back on this Pellegro business, okay? Because why exactly did it take into the early 1900s to be concerned about the food they were feeding us, right? And they did some studies. It was called the Thompson-McFadden Commission and Joseph Goldberg. And there were two historical investigations of Pellegra in cotton mill villages in South Carolina. So there's just a lot more that I want to look into this Pellegra business because evidently Pellegra was a problem for... They first discovered the problem... And then they came up with all this Pellegra business in 1906, that, 1906, that time frame. Well, what else happened around that time frame? Well, we had World War I. We had the banking, take, banking people taking charge. And it just seems like a lot of things circle the drain around that point, okay? So anyway, so let's get to these. Um, this is a pretty big file. And um, I will get to as much as I can. And then... <clears throat> pick up on the other end if I can't make it through the whole file, okay? So, what are we looking at here? The Office of Nuclear Energy funds access to world-class capabilities to facilitate the advancement of nuclear science and technology. This mis mission is supported by providing access at no cost to the user. The state-of-the-art experimental experimental irradiation testing and post-irradiation examination. So we have, they have state-of-the-art experimental irradiation testing and post-irradiation experimentation, right, facilities, as well as technical assistance, including the design and analysis of reactor experiments. Now, isn't that just fascinating, right? So I went to look at what do all these words mean, right? These words always mean something to these people. And when I was listening to that Oliver Stone clip I played in the beginning, I couldn't help but wonder, does Oliver Stone and his little buddy there, do they realize that they also have smart meters attached to their home? <laughs> I mean, just a passing thought, right? <laughs> what is their desire to get rid of the rest of us so intense that they're also installing these meters on their own homes? I think it's this reason. I think it's because these people are stupid. They're as stupid as the general public because we were all stupid when this stuff got going, right? I was there. I didn't know this stuff was going on. I kind of heard Three Mile Island out of the corner of my ears, right? So we were all stupid, okay? <laughs> so, so, yeah, so um, then they had to keep us stupid, right, to get us to this place. So this is kind of funny here because... Do they think of us as bugs and assholes? <laughs> it was the Greeks who discovered electricity for the first time around 3,000 years ago. Its name, electricity, is derived from the word electron, E-L-E-K-T-R-O-N. Uranium is used as fuel for nuclear power plants. Uranium is named after the planet Uranus, Uranus, 
U-R-A-N-U-S. Your anus, meaning your ass. Is that what it means? Does it mean your anus, your butt? <laughs> Some of these things, I believe they do also as a joke and a nudge to us, right? Uranium has the highest atomic weight, 19 kilograms, of all natural occurring elements. As a power source, it's practically infinite. Common uses. Uranium is also used by the military to power nuclear submarines and in nuclear weapons. Another thing, I had no clue that submarines are like many nuclear labs <laughs> riding around the water. <laughs> and I had no idea that they also have uh, many nuclear labs as planes flying around us. So, Do you know that in some cities in this country, this place is so dangerous that You'll have to go look for yourself. It's the um, in some cities they actually have built homes, like fake homes, to cover up oil rigs. So in the middle of a city, they might have a functioning oil rig, <laughs> highly dangerous. But in order to disguise it, what they do is they build a home around it. Yes, there are there are cities, major cities, that have oil wells in the middle of the city. Okay, uranium compounds have been used to color glass and ceramics for centuries. Yes, look up those uranium girls. They were decorating glass with uranium, and what they were taught to do was to put the tip of the brush onto the, in, in between their lips to decorate the glass. Well, what happened was they all became, um, they all got cancer, right? Um, Depleted uranium is used as shielding to protect tanks and also in bullets and missiles. German astronomer Johann Bode, whose observations helped to establish the new object as a planet, named Uranus. <laughs> I know, I, I sound like I'm 10, aren't I? Laughing over butt jokes. Well, we've got penis dick symbols all over this country with phallus signs and stuff. I mean, why not have some butt jokes, right? Okay. So, <laughs> I'll get back here and get serious, okay? Okay. Johann Bode, whose observations helped to establish the new object as a planet, named Uranus, <laughs> after an ancient Greek god of the sky. Bode argued that as Saturn was the father of Juniper, the new planet should be named for the father of Saturn. Uranus is also the only planet to be named after a Greek god rather than a Roman one. Now this is very interesting, right? Uranus. <laughs> Bodhi's colleague, this Martin somebody, supported his choice and named his newly discovered element Uranium. So this Bodhi person discovers this planet, calls it Uranus. His buddy named um, Martin Clapworth named his newly discovered element Uranium. Even though we now know where Uranus is now, it can still be a challenge to find. If you were to go out and look for Neptune, you'd have to know exactly where to look, and you'd still need a telescope to be able to find it, said planetary scientist Amy Simon at NASA. Can you pronounce Uranus without snickering? Most people are taught that the name of the tilted planet sounds like your anus, 
a pronunciation sure to elicit snickers. It seems particularly humorous when you discuss the methane, the composite of Uranus, or you want to talk about how hot Uranus is. <laughs> According to NASA, most scientists say your anus. Unfortunately, because it is so rarely heard outside the walls of academia, it almost seems to call even more attention to the avoided pronunciation. <laughs> Planetary Society's Emily Whatever writes about how in her former life teaching science to fifth graders, she taught that the second pronunciation was your a nus. She then had her students point to one another and call them nus which they enjoyed. A cop-out, yes, but at least it got every kid in the room to say the name of the planet out loud and to do it without thinking about a word that, if nonsensical, was at least non... I don't know. And we were able to move on and have a good time exploring the solar system without too much embarrassment over the pronunciation of the name of one of its largest members. <laughs> well, they named this stuff, didn't they? <laughs> I didn't name it, did you? Okay, so who got all this stuff going? It was an Italiano, an Italian who became an American. Ernico Fernini, E-N-R-I-C-O, Fermi, F-E-R-M-I. Enrico Fermi was an Italian, later naturalized American, physicist, and the creator of the world's first nuclear reactor called the Chicago Pile One. He has been called the architect of nuclear age and the architect of the atom atomic bomb. He was one of the few physicists to excel in both theoretical physics and experimental. And he's one of our Italianos, one of our Paisanos from Italy. Nuclear energy might have been a failed experiment. In over 60 years, the technology has not only failed to keep its promise of cheap, clean, and safe energy, it also has caused major catastrophes and enabled more nuclear weapons while the nuclear waste problem is still not solved. That, those are my two cents, okay. Um, they never want to stumble over the facts, right? For example, all this push for solar and wind. Well, they, they, they got, they refuse to acknowledge the fact that you can't store solar and you can't store wind power, right? So when there wasn't wind or sun, didn't work, right? So we're always led with the most deadly choices. <laughs> and also, no one seemed to ever question solar could not be recycled. Solar is a toxic mess. Go look for yourself. So now the push is nuclear. So what are the worst nuclear accidents in history? The explosion of the Chernobyl power plant. And that, interestingly enough, see, I am so ignorant to this stuff, I did not know that Chernobyl is in Ukraine. <laughs> hey, welcome to my world, right? <laughs> the other one was called an earthquake and tsunami in central Japan, Fukushima. Well, the fact that it was an earthquake and tsunami, now what does that lead us to think? <laughs> well, <laughs> explosive dynamites likely also in play, right? So anyways, and then radioactive particle emission in Three Mile Island, okay? Nuclear power plants have high... <laughs> I'm kind of cold reading this file. It's a big file, so 
nuclear plants have high standards when it comes to safety. I got this from the um, nuclear energy site. The U.S. nuclear energy prides itself on having safety in its DNA. That means that safety is the highest priority and that every decision, step, and precaution is grounded in that approach. In fact, the U.S. industry continues to be recognized as one of the safest industrial working environments in the nation. <laughs> Wait a minute. The U.S. industry continues... So I get they're talking about the U.S. nuclear energy. Okay, they left that word out. The U.S. nuclear energy continues to be recognized as one of the safest industrial working environments in the nation. What are the five benefits of using nuclear energy as an alternative to fossil fuels? Low-cost energy, reliable, zero carbon emissions, promising future energy supply, high energy density, environmental impact, water intensive, risk of nuclear, wait a minute, risk of nuclear accidents is in the list of five benefits. I don't know about that. Okay. Nuclear power, the safer and cheaper alternative to fossil fuels. Therefore, the waste products produced by nuclear energy may well be a price worth paying for a realistic means to meet climate change targets. This is the this is their um, their marketing cry for getting people to accept nuclear. The safer and cheaper alternative to fossil fuels. Okay, so I it got started in the 30s when um, the US became concerned that the Nazis were gonna be doing nuclear, okay? So on December the second, nineteen forty two, as World War now remember the last show I was talking about the Starvation Project, and keep in mind that that was before Germany got starved, okay? So if you didn't believe me that Germany was starved on purpose, you might go back and listen to my show about Germany because I am 100% convinced that Germany was starved on purpose. And by what I've been looking into, I'm also 100% convinced that they knew what the effects of that starvation on the Germans was going to be in advance, okay? So... No secrets here, right? So, anyway, so, December the 2nd, 1942, University of Chicago, there was a physics experiment that would literally change the world. In utmost secrecy, they had constructed a pile of uranium and graphite that would soon become the very first nuclear reactor, led by Enrique Fermi. Enrico, E-N-R-I-C-O, Fermi, F-E-R-M-I. These scientists hoping to split uranium atoms and create the world's first self-sustained controlled chain reaction. 76 years later, the implications of that physics experiment will reverberate around the world. Besides shaping the outcome of the Second World War and the following half century of international foreign policy, it has continued to shape the way the world views and uses energy, medicine, and scientific research. Is there a danger in acquiring nuclear power technology? But there is always the danger that countries acquiring nuclear power technology may subvert. They may subvert its use to develop a nuclear weapons program. After all, and here is where 
the key words are, okay? The question was, is there a danger in acquiring nuclear power energy? And they went on to say, there's always the danger, okay? The UK's first nuclear power stations were built primarily to provide fissile material for nuclear weapons during World War, the Cold War. So, UK says their first nuclear power stations were built primarily to provide fissile materials for nuclear weapons during the Cold War. I rest my case. They sold this as a way to help us with the temperature and energy and why did they do the first one for nuclear weapons and then after that, well, you do the math, okay? So then I was looking at, I remember seeing this Russian guy, <clears throat> this bald Russian guy, and maybe because I'll update my photos over on my website, hopefully in the next few days, because the photos I had ready to upload there uh, were from a few months ago. And we look much worse around here now. I've, I've lost almost 95% of my hair. <laughs> um, so I'll update those photos. But anyway, so... So anyway, so I got this Russian guy in my head, right? So I went looking. Um, and, and this is where I had the bingo moment, okay? And that's why you always keep looking, right? Because they're actually using bug, <laughs> bug spray on us. <laughs> because um, I had a note to myself. It said, they are claiming this Russian guy, true or not. And I, I don't know if this Russian guy really got hit or... They always have to signal what they're doing, right? So I don't know if this Russian guy is really true, okay? They say he got hit with toxins, and then they said that all these agents come under a group. So I was looking up him, and I found the group of names, okay? <laughs> the group of toxins, they say, they got this Russian guy with, come under the category of organosphate. O R G A N. O-P-O-S-P-H-A-T-E. <laughs> so what is organosphate? Well, it's, it's bug, it's bug, bug spray. <laughs> and as a matter of fact, this is such a sloppy deal going on that um, they, they feed things into our smart meters. Now, obviously, I do research, right? So I have been paying attention to what's going on in my own home. I've, I've known specifically that it was radiation for quite a long time. But um, they don't do it at specific times, okay? And they're using some nerve agents. <laughs> so, um, yeah, like all of a sudden your eyes go fuzzy. Um, so, luckily... <clears throat> so, anyway, so what they do is when they... Um, zap the home with these added elements is that you'll sense something in the air. And if you have pets, start to watch your pets because Rocco always knows when it's coming in the air. Um, so yeah, so as a matter of fact, the one meter, and I'll be pretty vague here, the one meter, um, I have actually on numerous, numerous occasions, okay, smelled this exact same smell. And I just connected it all with this bug spray because I did a lot of volunteer work in Mexico. I'm used to, I, I know what bug spray smells like, okay? So, what they're doing is, with these smart meters, is they're sending in radiation, but they're also sending other nerve agents. I, I'm, I'm still exploring all this, okay, and documenting it all. But anyways, <laughs> so I thought, you know, as, 
and we're completely disabled here in my house, okay? But we're still trying to have some fun because this isn't our life. So when things get really bad, I tell the kids that, hey, <laughs> we'll make it through all this. So anyway, so, so here's the name you're looking for, okay? There is this Russian agent called a Russian opposition leader, Alexei Navarlo. Now you will recognize his face when you pull it up because I certainly, re I, I, I had this idea in my head. I started thinking, because I knew that we're getting hit here in this house with some nerve, nerve damage, nerve, uh, nerve agents, right? So anyhow, so, um, so, <laughs> because what I found in digging through this Russian guys, it's Alexei, A-L-E-X-E-I. And his last name is spelled N-A-V-A-L-N-Y. He had been poisoned with Novichok, okay, which is a nerve agent. And that's spelled N-O-V-I-C-H-O-K. And I'll read this here. It says, um, the most, I'm sure this is a fake case, okay? But because I'm not sure, I'm not going to be laughing about this guy suffering, right? <laughs> okay. The most prominent critic of Russian President Vladimir Putin was airlifted to Berlin for treatment after falling ill during a flight in Russia's Siberia region last month. He has been in a coma since. Okay, Novichok, what is that? It's a group of nerve agents, some of which are binary chemical weapons. The agents were developed at a state chemical research institute by the Soviet Union and Russia between 1971 and 1993. Some Novichok agents are solids at standard temperature and pressure, while others are liquids. Dispersal of solid form agents is thought possible in ultrafine powder state. Russia's scientists who developed the nerve agents claimed they are the deadliest ever made. With some variants possible, five to eight times more potent than these others, which are ten times more potent than Soman, S-O-M-A-N. As well as Russia, Novichok agents have been known to be produced in Iran. In the 21st century, Novichok agents came to public attention after they were used to poison opponents of the Russian government, this dude, Alexei Navari, and that happened in, there were two, but let's just stick with one. Alexei Navari, N-A-V-A-L-N-Y, was in 2020, okay? But civil poisonings with this substance have been known since at least 1995. Okay, in November 2019, the Organization of the Prohibition of Chemical Weapons, which is the executive body, and these are all words, if you write them down, you'll find a ton of information, which is the executive body of the Chemical Weapons Convention, added that Novichuk agents to list of controlled substance, one of the first major changes to the treaty since it was agreed in the 1990s in response to the 2018 poisonings in the UK. So, how I got this was because the first article I read, Theresa May actually spilled the beans. Theresa May has identified the nerve agent used in the attack on Sergi and this other person as Novichuk. 
The name meaning newcomer refers to a group of nerve agents developed by the Soviet agents, the Soviet Union in the 1970s and 1980s to elude international restrictions on chemical weapons. Like other nerve agents, they're organosphate compounds, but the chemicals used to make Novichucks and their final structures are considered classified in the UK, the US, and other countries. By making the Novichuk in secret from benign chemicals normally used for insecticides and the like, also bugs, insecticides, the Soviet Union aimed to manufacture them without interference. What are organospheric compounds? Organospheric compounds or, or organic compounds containing phosphorus. Probably that's where we get the burn in the skin. I've had a burn on my face, a radiation burn for, oh, probably close to two years. Um, and that makes sense because I, I think phosphorus is what their, uh, Obama was dropping phosphorus bombs on the people, the kids in Yemen. So uh, probably where they get the kick to this thing, right? The phosphorus. Organospheric compounds or organic compounds containing phosphorus. They are used primarily in pest control. <laughs> I'm sorry, you have to laugh at some of this stuff, right? And this is not high-tech stuff. And this is to all the people running around screaming that these people are making transhumans. <laughs> they're, using, they're using bug spray on us, kids. Bug spray, okay? <laughs> We're no more than bugs to these people. And also, they're also packaging bugs in our food. I think they started in the UK. They're grinding up bugs and crickets and stuff, and they're putting it into food without really announcing it. So if you have any shellfish, shellfish allergies, you might want to start reading your labels because they're putting bugs in your food already. Okay, um, they're primarily used in pest control as an alternative to chlorinated hydrocarbons that persist in the environment. Some organospheric compounds are highly effective insecticides, although some are extremely toxic to humans, including sarin and VX nerve agents. That's sarin, S-A-R-I-N. Look that one up. And then also about this push that I'm saying that they're making toward um, nuclear now. You can look. There's a whole um, thing for the kids. I think this was over on the... Um, well, it was only on an official government website. And uh, I just copied part of it. And this is, this is to um, get kids thinking about it. As if Greta Thunberg wasn't enough to horrify kids. Uh, they're trying to push kids to talking about radiation. So I just pulled a clip here. It said... Um, Directions. Start with a vocabulary activity if students are not familiar with radiation and the terms used in this activity, or provide students with the terms and definitions. Ask students why people often fear radiation. They fear radiation because it can damage cells and our DNA. Ironically, radiation can cause cancer as well as be used to diagnose and treat diseases, including cancer. Well, this this lies my whole point, right? <laughs> Are they giving us the cancer and then using it to supposedly cure the cancer, right? Okay. It is hard to imagine a world in which no one developed or researched atomic bombs. It might have it might have happened if there had wait a minute. 
It is hard to imagine a world in which no one developed or researched atomic bombs. Well, it'd be kind of hard to imagine it right now because maybe I wouldn't be feeling like I'm full of radiation. <laughs> it might have happened had there, oh, okay, it might have happened had there been no World War II. Let's suppose no one did. For one thing, and leaving out how the Second World War would have ended, or whether the Cold War would have stayed as cold as it did, atomic science would not have advanced as quickly as it did. Whew, I'm glad they had that war, otherwise <laughs> this atomic science would have increased. Boy, I'm relieved. And this person went on to say, I grew up in the 60s, a time people called the Atomic Age. At the time, it sounded very modern and exciting. It sounds silly today because along came computers at the same time, and the information age kind of pushed atoms out of the way. Well, there is this one person I saw doing a TED Talk, and they started this TED Talk just in the last few years by saying, my parents were from the hippie generation, and they raised me to really take a look at things, and I've taken a look at everything, and I think nuclear is terrific. <laughs> okay, leading up to the war, Germany was a world leader in physics, and the science of nuclear energy was in its infancy. In 1938, the German chemist Otto Hahn, H-A-H-N, revealed that he'd created fission by blasting neutrons at a uranium core. Scientists fleeing Europe, including Albert Einstein and Enrico Fermi, alerted the U.S. that Germany could develop an atomic bomb. So the arms race was on, and this was a kickoff point. In 1938, this chemist Otto Hahn did this thing, and Albert Einstein, who is a fake character, right? Albert Einstein is a woman, not even real, but and Enrico Fermi alerted the U.S. that Germany could develop an attic bomb, so the race was on. In its natural form, uranium is not very radio radioactive. Now, that's why they need bug sprays, right? Um, so they said, uh, I'm not going to go through all that. It's just boring. Um... So um, the Allied forces didn't know how far along the Nazi nuclear program was, and so they were nervous. So in 1943, the Allies launched a secret mission. The code name was ALSOS, A-L-S-O-S. A team of about a dozen people, including soldiers, scientists, and interpreters, traveled through Italy, France, and Germany, searching for traces of the Nazi nuclear experiments. Then, as the war neared its, war neared its end, the mission's objectives shifted to making, making sure nuclear materials or scientists wouldn't make it into the hands of the Soviets. So the rush was on. Make sure the Soviets don't end up with this stuff. Right? Finally, they ended up with it, didn't they? In April 1945, Allied forces found and captured about 1.6 tons of uranium cubes in southern Germany. Heisenberg, his team, and the larger of Germany's two reactors, neither of which ever worked, had been hiding there, a place called Heiselberg you're looking for. Nearly all of the cubes were sent back to the U.S. Whew, glad they got that Ukrainian, what, what is it, that nuclear stuff, and shipped it back here? Boy, I'm relieved. Okay, Germany, you're safe. After the cubes arrived in the U.S., Heibert said their trail went cold. So, they're worried about the Germans, right? 
So they find this thing in Heisenberg, which was never really set off, two German reactors. And so they grab these cubes, these uranium cubes, arrived in the U.S., and the trail went cold. The U.S. was highly secretive about its own nuclear program, so there wasn't, so there aren't many public records about the Nazi uranium. We currently know of 14 out of almost 1,000 that existed in total, but most are still unaccounted for. But those 14 offer clues to what might have happened to the rest, and that's going to have to remain a mystery because I kind of ran out of energy looking for those thousand cubes of uranium running around this country. Okay, what was the purpose of the first nuclear power plant, I asked. On December 18, 1957, the United States produced its first nuclear power electrical current. According to the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, the Shipping Port Atomic Power Station was the first power station to use nuclear power for dedicated peacetime use. So December the 18th, 1957. And I found some plans that they have for 2023. It was updated on January of 23. Plans for new reactors worldwide. Nuclear power capacity worldwide is increasing steadily with about 60 reactors under construction. Most reactors on order or plan are in the Asian region, though there are major plans for new units in Russia. Significant further capacity is being created by plant upgrading. Plant life extension programs and maintaining capacity, particularly in the U.S. Remember, these plants... <laughs> They haven't been upgraded in, well, since the beginning, right? Today, there are about 440 nuclear power reactors operating in 32 countries plus Taiwan with a combined capacity, blah, 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 about 10% of the world's electricity, okay? About 60 power reactors are current, excuse me, about 60 power reactors are currently being constructed in 15 countries, notably China, India, and Russia. Okay, I think construction was suspended in Japan and Ukraine for unknown reasons. Each year, the OECD International Energy Agency, the IEA, sets out the present situation as well as reference and other, particularly carbon reduction. Yeah, they're worried about that carbon reduction, aren't they? Um, and that is too complicated for me to understand right now. So, um, yeah, what, what they do when they say things like, well, each year the OECD does these reports. Well, <laughs> garbage in, garbage out. Okay, now here's a movie. You know how uh, when I was talking before about... Um, the United States is really becoming um, the um, that movie Soylent Green, S O Y L E N T Green. Okay, that movie was done in the seventies. Okay, and that was pretty predictive of what's going on now. And then when you combine it with them letting floods of people rushing the borders and stuff here, it's starting to look like it makes sense, right? And I think a lot of people reject Soylent Green because of the idea of eating other humans. But hey. <laughs> I wouldn't count that out if you've been eating chicken nuggets, okay? So, um, anyhow, so yeah, um, 
there was another movie I wanted you to watch for, and I, I'm right in the middle of watching it now. You can get it for rent on YouTube for three ninety nine. Because I always do these predictive movies, and this will make more sense when I get back to talking about how movies have really laid this trail, okay? This is a big marketing program, okay, with, with deadly consequences, I might add, okay? The movie is called The China Syndrome, a 1979 American disaster thriller film. And, and the film stars Jane Fonda, Jack Lemmon, Michael Douglas, and um, it follows a television reporter and her cameraman who discovers safety cover-ups at a nuclear plant. China Syndrome is a fanciful term that describes a fictional result of a nuclear meltdown where reactor components melt through their containment structures and into the underlying earth all the way to China. The China Syndrome premiered at the 1979 Cannes Film Festival where it competed... Oh, I don't know. Um, oh, this is this is the part that's fascinating. Okay, the film, The China Syndrome, um, was released on March the sixteenth, nineteen seventy nine. Okay, which was twelve days. Two plus one equals three, right? Twelve days before the Three Mile Island nuclear accident in Dauphin County, Pennsylvania, which gave the film subject matter an unexpected. Precedence. So the movie kind of opened and people weren't really paying attention. And just amazing that 12 days later, Three Mile Island happened. Just Isn't that just shocking? Just kind of like, um, you know, I did that show about 9-11 and um, all those songs that got dropped on 9-11 with pictures of buildings being blown up. It's amazing how these things happen, isn't it? Um, so... It became a critical and commercial excess. Okay, so yeah, uh, I'm not going to be talking about the movie. You can go go watch the movie. I'm just now starting to watch it because I, I, I think these things are very interesting. And you might find it interesting too. So anyway, so the reception. This is from a review by Roger Ebert. A terrific thriller that incidentally raises the most unsettling questions about how safe nuclear power plants really are. The movie is well-acted, well-crafted, scary as hell. The, the events leading up to the accident in the China Syndrome are indeed based on actual occurrences at nuclear plants. Even the most unlikely mishap... So, yeah. Um, interesting connection, right? We're, we're, this, is, this is a marketing show, kids. It's a complete marketing show. So... Um, six, so, uh, how does electricity get to our house? Electri electricity travels a long distance to get directly to your house. The station where your electricity is generated might be hundreds of miles away. All the poles and wires you see in front of your home along the highway are called electrical distribution system. And this is another thing. Why, you know, this? I, I never could figure out, if you look at... Um, city views in this country and stuff all the wires all over the place from all these electrical wires and i never could figure out why they didn't do it underground well probably because there's some devious reason right probably underground would cost them more money and not be as effective as just zapping it right into our homes versus smart meters so i was looking at some of the history in the 1950s attention turned to harnessing the power of the atom in a controlled way as demonstrated at chicago in 1942, I start off with our buddies from Italy and stuff. 
and sub subsequently for military research and applying the steady heat yield to generate electricity. This naturally gave rise to concerns about accidents and their possible effects. However, with nuclear power, safety depends on much the same factors as any comparable industry. Intelligent planning, proper design with conservative margins and backup systems, high quality components, and a well-developed safety culture and operation. The operating lives of reactors depends on maintaining their safety margin. <laughs> okay, so these people need to be uh, intelligent with their planning, proper design, backup systems, high quality components, and safety things. Wow, see how that works out. Just like those Teslas, you know, they never they never tested them for safety and blowing up on the highways, which means essentially that um, the fire department in this country does not know how to um, put out fires when a Tesla gets caught on fire in the middle of the highway. <laughs> this is what happens when you live in a country that is a human experiment, right? So where was I? A particular nuclear scenario was loss of cooling, which resulted in melting. What happens is if they lose cooling, that's a big deal, okay? And that results in melting of the nuclear reactor core. And this motivated studies on both the physical and chemical possibilities, as well as the biological effects of any dispersed radioactivity. Phew, good to know. Those responsible for nuclear power technology in the West devoted extraordinary effort to ensuring that a meltdown of the reactor core would not take place. Phew, relieved to hear that. Since it was assumed that a meltdown of the core would create a major public hazard and if uncontained a tragic accident with likely multiple fatalities. Huh. Imagine that. In avoiding such accidents the industry had been very successful. In the 60-year history of civil nuclear power generation, with over 18,500 cumulative reactor years across 36 countries, there have only been three significant accidents at nuclear power plants. We have the Three Mile Island in the USA, 1979, where the reactor was severely damaged, but radiation was contained, and there were no adverse health or environmental consequences. Then we have Chernobyl, which was in Ukraine, 1986, where the destruction of the reactor by steam explosion and fire killed two people, initially plus a further 28 from radiation poisoning within three months, and had significant health and environmental contents. Then we have Fukushima, Japan, 2011, and that would be the last one because we had Three Mile Island 79, Chernobyl 86, and Japan 2011. Where three, three Mile Island, they always like that three, don't they? Where three old reactors, together with a fourth, were written off after the effects of loss of cooling due to a large tsunami was inadvertently contained. So a big tsunami, which I would have to argue was set off in the ocean by the U.S. military. And remember, I wasn't there, okay? I'm just using logic, okay? So it's interesting to find that there was a huge tsunami that was set off in Japan right by this reactor, which set it off. Suspicious? Well, I don't know. I find it kind of suspicious. So um, 
there were no deaths or serious energy due to radioactivity, though about 19,500 people were killed by the Tsunami. Of all the accidents and incidents, only the Chernobyl and Fukushima accidents resulted in radiation doses to the public greater than those resulting from the exposure to natural sources. So, no one got more exposure to radiation from these accidents than we are already getting from the air, okay? The Fukushima accident Fukushima, excuse me, accident resulted in some radiation exposure, in some radiation exposure of workers at the plant, but not so as to threaten their health. Unlike Chernobyl, other incidents and one accident have been completely confined to the plant. Apart from Chernobyl, no nuclear workers or members of the public have ever died as a result of exposure to radiation due to commercial nuclear reactor incidents. Most of these serious radiological injuries and deaths that occur each year, two to four deaths and as many more exposures above regulatory limits, are the result of large uncontrolled radiation sources such as abandoned medical or industrial equipment. There have also been a number of accidents in experimental reactors and in one military plutonium producing pile, and that was done in the UK in 1957. But none of these resulted in life, loss, of life, loss of life outside the actual plant or long-term environmental contamination. Well, I would suggest to you I listed the three places to look at, Russia and the Marshall Island people, and yeah, not looking like any of this is telling the truth now, is it? Okay. Went on to say, no industry is immune from accidents, but all industries learn from them. In civil aviation, there are accidents every year, and each is meticulously analyzed. The results from nearly 100 years experiments mean that reputable airlines are extremely safe. In the chemical industry and oil gas industry, major accidents also lead to improved safety. There is wide public acceptance that the risks associated with these industries are an acceptable trade-off for our dependence on their products and services. With nuclear power, the high energy density makes the potential hazard obvious. And this has always been factored into the design of nuclear power plants. Maybe they should mention that over on the Marshall Islands, they took all that nuclear and covered it up. And well, the cover is now leaking. So, um, uh, in avoiding such accidents, the industry has been very successful. In the 60 year history of civil nuclear power generation, with over 18,500 cumulative reactor years across 36, oh, I, I pasted this in again, sorry. Uh, <laughs> gee, this looks familiar. Okay, uh, and then this is from the World Nuclear Association, okay. It should be emphasized that a commercial type power reactor simply cannot, under any circumstances, explode like a nuclear bomb. The fuel is not enriched beyond about 5% and much higher enrichment is needed for explosives. The International Atomic Energy Agency, also known as the IAEA, was set up by the United Nations in 1957. 
One of its functions was to act as an auditor of world's nuclear safety. And this role was increased greatly following the Chernobyl accident. Well, this is just a relief. The UN is in charge. <laughs> it prescribed safety procedures after the report of even ma minor incidents. Its role had been strengthened since 1996. Each country which operates nuclear power plants has a nuclear safety inspector, and all of these work closely with the IAEA. Are you starting to relax now? They have this under control. This is, this is just, I'm either the craziest person you've ever heard, or this stuff is really being sold as something that's not quite what it is, right? While nuclear power plants are designed to be safe in their operation and safe in the event of any malfunction or accident, no industry activity can be represented as entirely risk-free. Incidents and accidents may happen, as in other industries. What is learned will lead to progressive improvement of safety. Those improvements are both in new design and in upgraded existing plants. The use of nuclear energy for electricity generation can be ex considered extremely safe. Every year, several hundred people die in coal mines to provide this widely used fuel for electricity. There are also significant health and environmental factors arising from fossil fuel uses. Contrary to popular belief, nuclear power saves lives by displacing fossil fuel from the electricity mix. Concerning possible accidents, I think I've already gone too much into this part, the Three Mile Island. Um, most of U.S. and world electricity generation is from electric power plants that use a turbine to drive electricity generators, okay? In, turbine, in a turbine generator, a moving fluid, water, steam, combustion gas, or air pushes a series of blades mounted on a rotary shaft. Um, well, I don't know. I just had that in the middle here. Um, turbines, they, we were getting a lot of turbine, um, power, okay, in places like California and stuff, okay? That's why they set up those dams and stuff. But then since then, they decided that dams were a bad idea. And seriously, in California, they started closing off the, um, water-generated power by claiming that this one kind of fish, which really is not even, well, it's not a real fish for that area, but they claimed it was a, a, a fish that was needed pr protecting. So what they did was they started closing off the um, people in California from getting power through water. So, um, eight reasons why building nuclear power plants is a bad idea. It's too expensive. The nuclear industry involves prohibitively high capital costs. And that, that's what you'll find a lot of. Now they're all talking about, well, it's pretty expensive, but you know, how, how can we get the financing for this? Number two, it's too dangerous. Number three, it's too secretive. Number four, it's too dirty. Number five, it's too slow. Number six, it's outdated. Number seven, the environmental impact assessment is flawed. Number eight, we have better alternatives. And also in all of this, um, well, nobody talks about conserving, right? They just talk about the need to get more. Um, so nuclear waste is a huge, huge deal. Um, 
uranium isotope U-235, I talked about that, is highly radioactive, and that's what we're getting out of this, okay? After it is used to produce nuclear energy, it is turned into nuclear waste in the nuclear reactors. This waste continues to be highly radioactive for hundreds or thousands of years and cannot be discarded or disposed of easily. No safe technology has been developed for the secure storage or disposal of nuclear waste. In the operational nuclear plants across the world, nuclear waste is mostly stored temporarily in above-ground facilities. As these storage spaces are fast running out, now I haven't verified that they're running out or any of this stuff, I'm just reading from what they're saying, okay. The nuclear energy is choosing less than desirable storage options, options that are more expensive and less safe. They also say it raises the chances of nuclear proliferation. Nuclear proliferation or the use of nuclear technology in the development of nuclear weapons and accumulation of nuclear material, which we're talking about, they're accumulating the <laughs> depleted uranium for using the smart meters, right? In fact, it poses a danger to human existence itself because there's no way we can survive a nuclear war. Well, that's what they were deciding with those poor people um, over in Marshall Island area and in um, Russia where they're right out in the open spraying them with nuclear things. Um, there is always a real possibility that nuclear technology could fuel and be misused. To prevent nuclear proliferation, world countries have to reach an agreement. Well, okay. As long as there is no agreement, the threat is always present. Well, this is this is how it works, right? They always have to keep the threat present, right? Nuclear power plants pose a threat to the security of the nation and its citizens. They're targets for terrorist attacks. Well, I've talked about that enough. We know who the terrorists are, right? Okay. Um, natural disasters and human error can lead to accidents in nuclear power plants. This happened in Chernobyl, yes. Um, the human casualty of the Chernobyl disaster is pegged at 30, though thousands suffered the health consequences. Yeah, the, the, the tip of the iceberg, you know, they say four people, but if they're not doing any studies, okay, let's say that right now I decided to go have them look at the radiation burn on my face. Let's say I decided to go call up some doctor and go visit them. <laughs> Do you think my doctor is going to know that what he's looking at or that I would get spun in a million different directions? Just like all those poor soldiers from this country that had all those burn pits and all those experiments done on them. Who do you think they went to for help? Because the people that we consider going to for help are the monsters, right? The, the doctors were the ones who were involved in watching us starve to death. They're the ones watching us getting radiation for us. Because, you know, they went out to Bikini Atoll for years and years studying those people against their knowledge, okay? The doctors were there too, so... I would suggest you stop thinking of them as any kind of saviors, okay? And learn to look for the signs yourself. And if you see any of these signs, know what to do, okay? Because otherwise it will be confusing. Um, anyway, so um, I'm going to spend past some of this stuff because we, we get the idea that... Um, um, there's a lot of them out there, okay, so I, I don't need to drag you through all of them. There's no, um, they say that nuclear is the largest source of clean power in the United States. 
generates nearly 800 billion kilowatts. What that means, I don't really know. Um, this avoids more than 470 tons of carbon. See, the, the big push is, oh, look, nuclear is so clean. Let's get rid of all that carbon stuff. So that, that's the big push. Um, the nuclear industry supports nearly half a million jobs. See, they're always talking about the jobs they give us, right? Too bad they're all deadly. The nuclear also supports national security. Um, yeah, I always worry about somebody coming here to get us, right? <laughs> that's the irony of this thing. The people that everybody in this country is programmed to think are coming to get us. <laughs> so a lot of people in this country feel better sticking to this country, right? Don't go to Europe or any place. Stay here. Well, <laughs> it's almost, it, it just is like, I don't know. Did you ever watch horror movies as a kid? Like, they, they, I don't know, like, <laughs> where <laughs> there was always this out of control incident where the monster was there, but you weren't quite sure who they were. <laughs> I think we know who the monster is, right? Um, so yeah, there's a lot out there. I would suggest that you take a look at it because now they're now they're building they're they're big into raising money for all this stuff, okay? And I gotta fade off here and get off of this thing because next I want to talk about the movies and I want to talk about the um, because the movies is the marketing of all this, right? Just like all the stuff I've been reading you, this BS about how safe these things are, that's marketing, right? Marketing, pure and simple. This is a marketing event. And uh, so so they're talking about, all oh, these are very expensive. We can't do all this stuff. And then, um, let me see. Why did I have this here? Let me see here. Human radiation experiments were undertaken in secret to help understand radiation risk to workers engaged in the development of the atomic bond. And that's where... I did a show about the human radiation experiments that got exposed and then Clinton apologized for them, okay? And none of those people really knew what they were doing on them, right? The human radiation experiments lasted at least 30 years and involved hundreds of thousands of civilians and American soldiers and there is little to no documentation of any kind of informed consent. Just like I didn't, I didn't agree to have them radiate my home. Now did I? <laughs> okay. Um, the majority of human radiation experiments identified by the advisory committee involved radioactive tracers administered in amounts that are likely to be similar to those used in research today. Yeah, they use the radiation. It's very simple. <laughs> it is always, if you follow me for any amount of time, anything, you know, that Habsburg chin, anything that I've uncovered, it has always had a very, very simple thing, right? Um, so, yeah, so... They tell us we need all this electricity. Our bodies are electricity. What better to go after our bodies than radiation, right? Um, in November of 1993, the United States was hit with a big shock when records of human radiation experiments from 1944, and remember that 1944, same time frame when they were over in Chicago <laughs> setting that stuff up, right? Uh, when records of human radiation experiments from 1944 to 1974 were suddenly released. There was a freedom of information and somebody stumbled upon it. And I don't know why I have this here, but let me just recap it. Nuclear energy history 
the idea of nuclear power began in the 19th century. And here again, Enrico Fermi, my compadre from Italy. It's funny because Enrico was the guy who did the uh, nuclear, right? And who do we have now heading the eugenics program with the shots and stuff? That would be Fauci, right? Another Italian. Um, so. Okay, so yeah, started in the 30s. But then somebody happened to have told the United States government that Germany was going to be in the thing, right? So then Enrico and this other dude rushed to the United States and Ferrini led that team that in 1942 achieved the first nuclear chain reactor under a stadium at the University of Chicago. So, um, yeah, um, anyway, so um, the Department of Energy's predecessors, you're looking for the Manhattan Project. I need to do a timeline of all this stuff, but yeah. Started out in the 30s, okay, and here we are today, right? And they really haven't changed the technology much. And also, to be proud of my countryman Enrico, he was a Nobel Prize winning physicist, not just any physicist, okay? And he did this in his laboratory beneath the bleachers of Stagg Field at the University of Chicago, ushering in the nuclear age. Upon successful completion of the experiment, a coded message was transmitted to President Roosevelt. The Italian navigator has landed in the New World. Let that sink in, right? Enrico Fermi supposedly cooks up a laboratory underneath some bleachers <laughs> at the University of Chicago. And the message to Roosevelt was, The Italian navigator has landed in the New World. Following on England's discovery of the neutron and the Curry's production of artificial radioactivity, Femi, a full-time professor of physics at the University of Florence, focused his work on producing radioactivity by manipulating the speed of neutrons derived from radioactive barium. Okay, um, I don't know, um, for many reasons, skeptical. Yeah, I, I'm kind of bored with this guy. But anyway, he got the Nobel Peace Prize, okay? And we're proud of him because he was an Italian. And then he immigrated to New York City, Columbia University, where he created many of his experiments. Fermi and others saw the possible military applications of such an explosive power and quickly composed a letter warning President Roosevelt of the perils of a German atomic bomb. The letter was signed and delivered to the president by Albert Einstein on October the 11th, 1939. The Manhattan Project, the American program to create its first atomic bomb, was the result. It fell to Fermi, my countryman, to produce the first nuclear chain reaction without which such a bomb was impossible. And he's our paisano over there from Italy. He created a jury-rigged laboratory with the ne necessary equipment, which he called an atomic pile, in a squash court in the basement of Stagg Field at the University of Chicago. Just like all the high-tech people starting garages, right? 
with colleagues and other physicists looking on, Fermi produced the first substantive nuclear chain reactor, and the new world of nuclear power was born. So, you have to look up Enrico Fermi, E-N-R-I-C-O, Fermi, F-E-R-M-I. He's our guy. He's our guy. Anyway, so I don't think I'm going to have much more to say about the rest of this because you can, I'm going to be back looking at that um, Pellegra business, something about that Pellegra business. <laughs> um, why didn't they know what to feed us, right? And... Pellegra was happening and being studied in company towns. Company towns, if you lived in a company town, you were reliant on the company store to get your food and stuff, right? So you, you bought what was available at the company store. So the company store was feeding you the cheapest stuff, which would be likely corn, right? So was it because it was cheap? But my bigger question is, why? Didn't people know what to eat by then? If they, if they claim this world's been going on for, you know, trillions and trillions of years, it seems kind of odd that they needed to figure out in the early 1903 or whatever, around the same time they figured out the banking stuff, right? About the same time they put the central banks in charge, about the same time all this stuff happened, the medical school started. All this stuff just seems to have started around this Pellegra business. I, I really can't get my mind out of Pellegra right now. But I'll also be looking at the movies. So in the meantime... I'm going to be watching this movie, um, and I would encourage you to watch it also. Jane Fonda, I, I watched some clips of it, and it looks like it's really good. So, they always predict what's coming ahead in the movies, okay? So, I'm going to close for now. So, let me find the... So, thank you for joining me today. Goodbye for now. Be safe out there. And I'll be back with, well, I'm going to be working on the Pellegra business for sure, but I want to enter into another show which would be a little bit more fun. Well, <laughs> as fun as I could make this story of eugenics, right? And just keep in mind, all of these liars you see on the screen in social media, right? All of these, now I'm not saying this because I think it's good that they're also getting zapped, okay? I'm certainly not that kind of person. I, I, I would find no joy in Oliver Stone getting zapped by his smart meter box, okay? But I do find a tremendous amount of irony, and I think it's because they were born without mothers, knowing who their mother was, that, that, made, them so, that made them so evil. So anyway, don't forget to download my work. Things are going crazy with my um, uploads and stuff, so just doing the best I can. So just hang in there. Um, this is not all we have. And it's going to be a fascinating ride. You know, we all elected to come here to see this happen, okay? Just no matter how bad things get, remind yourself, this was a choice. Nobody forced us to be here. We're at a pretty interesting time when all of these people, and there's not that many of them, right? But their recruits are so great. They have their eyes on just destroying the rest of us while <laughs> they're destroying themselves. So... Go figure that one out. So anyways, help me make it make sense. So anyway, so goodbye for now. Be safe out there. In an argument about nuclear power, we have, we found it frustrating and confusing. So let's try and get to grips with this topic. It all started in the 1940s. After the shock and horror of the war and the use of the atomic bomb, nuclear energy promised to be a peaceful spin-off of the new technology, helping the world get back on its feet. Everyone's imagination was running wild. Would electricity become free? 
Could nuclear power help settle the Antarctic? Would there be nuclear-powered cars, planes, or houses? It seemed that this was just a few years of hard work away. One thing was certain, the future was atomic. Just a few years later, there was a sort of atomic age hangover. As it turned out, nuclear power was very complicated and very expensive. Turning physics into engineering was easy on paper, but hard in real life. Also, private companies thought that nuclear power was much too risky as an investment. Most of them would much rather stick with gas, coal and oil. But there were many people who didn't just want to abandon the promise of the atomic age. An exciting new technology, the prospect of enormously cheap electricity, the prospect of being independent of oil and gas imports, and in some cases, a secret desire to possess atomic weapons provided a strong motivation to keep going. Nuclear power's finest hour finally came in the early 1970s, when war in the Middle East caused oil prices to skyrocket worldwide. Now, commercial interest and investment picked up at a dazzling pace. More than half of all the nuclear reactors in the world were built between 1970 and 1985. But which type of reactor to build, given how many different types there were to choose from? A surprising underdog candidate won the day, the light water reactor. It wasn't very innovative, and it wasn't too popular with scientists, but it had some decisive advantages. It was there, it worked, and it wasn't terribly expensive. So, what does a light water reactor do? Well, the basic principle is shockingly simple. It heats up water using an artificial chain reaction. Nuclear fission releases several million times more energy than any chemical reaction could. Really heavy elements on the brink of stability, like uranium-235, get bombarded with neutrons. The neutron is absorbed, but the result is unstable. Most of the time, it immediately splits into fast-moving, lighter elements, some additional free neutrons, and energy in the form of radiation. The radiation heats the surrounding water, while the neutrons repeat the process with other atoms, releasing more neutrons and radiation in a closely controlled chain reaction. Very different from the fast, destructive runaway reaction in an atomic bomb. In our light water reactor, a moderator is needed to control the neutrons' energy. Simple, ordinary water does the job, which is very practical, since water is used to drive the turbines anyway. The light water reactor became prevalent because it's simple and cheap. However, it's neither the safest, most efficient, nor technically elegant nuclear reactor. The renewed nuclear hype lasted barely a decade, though. In 1979, the Three Mile Island nuclear plant in Pennsylvania barely escaped a catastrophe when its core melted. In 1986, the Chernobyl catastrophe directly threatened Central Europe with a radioactive cloud, and in 2011, the drawn-out Fukushima disaster sparked new discussions and concerns. While in the 1980s, 218 new nuclear power reactors went live, their number and nuclear's global share of electricity production has stagnated since the end of the 80s. So what's the situation today? Today, nuclear energy meets around 10% of the world's energy demand. There are about 439 nuclear reactors in 31 countries. About 70 new reactors are under construction in 2015, most of them in countries which are growing quickly. All in all, 160 new reactors are planned worldwide. Most nuclear reactors were built more than 25 years ago with pretty old technology. More than 80% are various types of light water reactor. Today, many countries are faced with a choice. The expensive replacement of the aging reactors 
possibly with more efficient but less tested models, or a move away from nuclear power towards newer or older technology with different cost and environmental impacts. So, should we use nuclear energy? The pro and contra arguments will be presented. Three reasons why we should stop using nuclear energy. One, nuclear weapons proliferation. Nuclear technology made a violent entrance onto the world stage. Just one year after the world's first ever nuclear test explosion in 1944, two large cities were destroyed by just two single bombs. After that, reactor technology slowly evolved as a means of generating electricity, but it's always been intimately connected with nuclear weapons technology. It's nearly impossible to develop nuclear weapons without access to reactor technology. In fact, the Nuclear Non-Proliferation Treaty serves the purpose of spreading nuclear reactor technology without spreading nuclear weapons with limited success. In 40 years, five countries have developed their own weapons with the help of reactor technology. The fact of the matter is that it can be very hard to distinguish a covert nuclear weapons program from the peaceful use of nuclear energy. In the 1970s, the big nuclear powers were happily selling peaceful technology to smaller countries, which then developed weapons of their own. The road to deadly nuclear weapons is always paved with peaceful reactors. 2. Nuclear Waste and Pollution Spent nuclear fuel is not only radioactive, but also contains extremely poisonous chemical elements like plutonium. It loses its harmfulness only slowly over several tens of thousands of years. And there is also a process called reprocessing, which means the extraction of plutonium from spent nuclear fuel. It can be used for two purposes, to build nuclear weapons or to use it as new fuel. But hardly any of it is used as fuel because we don't have the right kind of reactors for that. A milligram will kill you, a few kilograms make an atomic bomb, and even an inconspicuous country like Germany literally has tons of the stuff just lying around because reprocessing sounded like a good idea decades ago. And where will all the waste go? After dumping it into the ocean was forbidden, we've tried to bury it, but we can't find a place where it will definitely stay secure for tens of thousands of years. Over 30 countries operate nearly 400 reactors, managing several hundred thousands of tons of nuclear waste, and only one is currently serious about opening a permanent civilian waste storage, tiny Finland. 3. Accidents and Disasters over 60 years of nuclear power usage, there have been seven major accidents in reactors or facilities dealing with nuclear waste. Three of those were mostly contained, but four of them released significant amounts of radioactivity into the environment. In 1957, 1987 and 2011, large areas of land in Russia, Ukraine and Japan were rendered unfit for human habitation for decades to come. The number of deaths is highly disputed, but probably lies in the thousands. These disasters happened with nuclear reactors of very different types, in very different countries, and several decades apart. Looking at the numbers, we may as well ask ourselves, are 10% of the world's energy supply worth a devastating disaster every 30 years? Would 30% be worth another Fukushima or Chernobyl somewhere on Earth every 10 years? What area would have to be contaminated so we say no more? Where is the line? So, should we use nuclear... Three reasons why we should continue using nuclear energy. One, nuclear energy saves lives. In 2013, 
a study conducted by NASA found that nuclear energy has prevented around 1.8 million deaths. Even if you include the death tolls from Chernobyl and Fukushima, nuclear energy ranks last in death per energy unit produced. While nuclear waste is really toxic, it's usually stored somewhere. While the toxic byproducts of fossil fuels are pumped into the air we breathe every day. So, just by reducing the amount of fossil fuels burned, countless cases of cancer or lung disease and accidents in coal mines have been avoided. If we can choose between lots of dangerous stuff being put into a deep hole and lots and lots and lots of dangerous stuff being pumped into the atmosphere, the former seems more logical. Nuclear energy feels way more dangerous though. Single catastrophic events burn into our memory while coal and oil kill silently. It's like the death rate of flying versus driving. Even in the best case scenario, it would take at least 40 years to switch to 100% renewable energy. So for as long as we continue using fossil fuels, nuclear energy will save way more lives than it destroys. Two, nuclear energy reduces CO2 emissions. Nuclear energy is arguably way less harmful to the environment in terms of climate change than fossil fuels, our main source of energy. Since 1976, about 64 gigatons of greenhouse gas emissions have not been pumped out thanks to nuclear energy. And by the mid-21st century, that could amount to an additional 80 to 240 gigatons. Humanity's energy consumption is rising steadily. According to U.S. government projections, China alone will add the equivalent of a new 600-megawatt coal plant every 10 days for the next 10 years. China already burns 4 billion tons of coal each year. Coal is cheap, relatively abundant, and easy to get to. So it's not likely that humanity will stop using it soon. Nuclear energy might be the only way of dampening the effects of climate change and preventing a catastrophic man-made global warming. Compared to the other things we do, nuclear energy is relatively clean. So, even if it is a good idea to quit nuclear energy long-term, it might be a good solution for the next hundred years or so, compared to the alternatives. 3. New Technologies Maybe technology will solve the problem of nuclear waste and dangerous power plants. The nuclear reactors we've used so far are mostly outdated technology, because nuclear innovation stopped in the 1970s. There are models like the thorium reactor that could solve the problem altogether. Thorium is abundant, really hard to turn into nuclear weapons, and up to two orders of magnitude less wasteful than current nuclear reactors. The waste material might also be only dangerous for a few hundred years, in contrast to a couple of thousand years. One ton of thorium is estimated to provide the same amount of energy as 200 tons of uranium or 3.5 million tons of coal. So while we cannot know for sure if alternative nuclear technology will keep its promises, shouldn't we at least do more research before we forego an opportunity to solve lots of humanity's current problems? It might not be an easy challenge, but that hasn't stopped us before. So, should we use nuclear energy? It's all about the marketing, isn't it? And why is it that very early 1900s, Banks took over, all this stuff happened. 1933, all U.S. citizens became declared enemies of the state. and that we, It's never been lifted that all U.S. citizens were declared enemies of the state in 1933, okay? So all of this stuff starts to add up in an interesting way, right? So I don't believe these same people could have been in charge for hundreds of years. It looks to me like they 
picked up things in the early, very early 1901 time frame here, right? Um, so a lot, lot more to explore, and it's about the marketing. And at that same time frame, what did we get introduced to? The movies. All the stuff the movies show us became imprinted in our brains as far as how we viewed the society that they had created, operated, to see how it could all have worked, right? So anyhow, I'm going to sign off for now. So I, I would like to ask you one more final thing about water. Um, they're going to be playing with the water and our power. So just be very conscious of rolling blackouts in the future because part of this um, smart meter technology will make it easy to um, cut us off from our electricity, okay? Um, what I suggest is this. I never knew one of these things existed. But if you're filtering your water, you just need to consider this. Because a few years ago, I looked into all these things. And somehow, it never really entered my brain circuit that filtering water could do anything, right? Because they sell, like, those straws, those life straws. And they show people <clears throat> um, using that straw to suck out of streams and stuff. And... They have the Berkey and they have all these other things, right? Well, it never got into my brain to get one myself because, A, it was pretty expensive. And um, I just couldn't facilitate in my head how a filter could get rid of toxic stuff. And then I didn't even really know about most of the stuff, right? And since then, all of the most dangerous things, and what's going to be happening is this, and this is a matter of being prepared, right? Um the closer they get down to the bottom of these wells and stuff and these different systems we have going on, you know, there's now fights going on between Arizona, some some parts of the county are cutting off other parts from water. Um, the Colorado River is in huge dispute right now with California. So um, the water that we will be getting will be from the bottom of the dredges of this thing that's been going on for the last hundred years, right? So uh, that water contains a huge amount of sediments, okay? And, like, for example, in Salt Lake City, the sediments that will likely come up from that water will be pretty bad and arsenic and different things. And what will happen is as, that wa as those water beds dry out, that will then enter the air. So, as just a um, general way to survive, because, after all, we can't live without a few days without water, Here's what I suggest, and I never knew, none of these prepper people, none of these people have ever mentioned any of this stuff, right? All they ever talked about was these filters. Well, do you realize that you can buy a distilled water machine um, and between $50 and $100, and you can make your own distilled water in your house? Now, of course, if they cut the electricity off, you can't, but you could make enough water to store and keep in your house uh, because one distilled water machine will make about, uh, three gallons of water a day. Uh, one tip if you decide to go this route is that do ne never get a timer. Don't rely on the timer that the machine has. Get the machine that has the less bells and whistles, right? Get yourself your own timer. So when you start the machine, time it for when you, before it would be done. And if you remove the water at that point, you don't get all the sediment into the bottom. So your cleanup is a lot less to happen. Because this is what I had to consider because I'm handicapped now. So I thought, well, a Berkey and all that just is too complicated for me, right? So when I was looking into this distilled water machine, I thought, wow, I never even imagined this would happen. And they're running out of distilled water all over this country because distilled water is also used for people's machines and stuff at home. 
So anyhow, so you can get one of these machines for between 50 and 100 bucks. Make your own distilled water. Just watch the heating elements, so don't fry the water to the bottom. So you got a huge cleanup process. And um, get a rack, and you you could store you know 20 gallons of water right there in your kitchen. And the thing about the distilled water is that it removes all of the very worst things. And this is not medical advice. Go look for yourself. Just do a search and ask, does distilled water remove the most harmful things? And you will find that yes. In fact, distilled water does do all that. You do not want purified water. You don't want any of that. You want to be able to distill water in your home because the water we'll be getting in the future is going to be rough. Now, I don't know this for a fact, but I can only assume based on uh, based on different parts of this country now fighting over water between states, I have a logical brain. I can see that low water levels means that uh, what will happen is more toxins in the air. I covered the one guy from my state, and um, he's a water expert about the water that I'm on the Platte, Platte River. And, um, and this guy, very unassuming smart man, he said, well, they asked him, if he would, because he's been studying the water on the Platte River for all these years, right? <clears throat> so they asked him about the sediments because of the water getting so dangerously low. And what he said was that if he had a daughter who was pregnant, he would not, he would be advising her to not drink it, okay? So let's just take this guy's advice, <clears throat> figure out how to, how to get distilled water into your own home, and the best way to do it would be to make it yourself. And so check into all those options um, because I don't believe we're going to be getting anywhere near kind of clean water, okay? So everybody's going to need water. And that's all I have to say for right now. i got to close this off for now. So be safe out there. And remember, this is an opportunity for us to bond together. This is an opportunity for us to really explore why have we been in this world that's been so screwed up for all, all of our lifetimes, right? Why are we surrounded by so much trauma? Well, I would argue that a potential thing between the radiation and this pellagra business, that I think that pellagra business is probably what may have driven people into mental institutions, seriously. So anyway, so there's a lot to explore here. So I don't know. I find comfort in knowing. So I do appreciate you tuning in, and I will chat with you later, and certainly be safe out there. And goodbye for now.